Welcome to our North Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you. For further information about our church, please visit churchnorth.com or check out our social media at Church North. It's great to be able to open God's Word with you and to, to preach at home. Most weekends I'm somewhere and they all say to you, well, where's home? And I proudly say, North Church in Leeds with David Abbs Niblock. So this is the home crowd. I'm going to unpack a subject with you which is very close to my heart and I think is very important for where the church is at in the world, certainly in Europe right now. To do that, we're going to unpack a scripture. So first things first, let's open the word of God to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read a passage together there just to set this thought up. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Just pause a minute. His divine power has given us everything we need. I hope you believe that. It all comes from him, everything we need, through our knowledge of him. The word knowledge there is relational knowledge, not head knowledge. It's not about Googling it up and getting some facts. This is about a relational knowledge, knowing Jesus. That's where the power comes from. Then he goes on to say, through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them... You may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. What a package. Everything we need for a godly life, we participate in the divine nature, and we have the power to escape the corruption that's in the world. I think it's a no-brainer to become a Christian, the more you read these verses. Then he says in verse 5, For this reason... So because it's such a good deal to know God, to have a relationship with him, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's that phrase again, knowledge, that relational knowing. So that passage basically says two things. You've got it, but there's still some work to do. You know, I'm increasingly convinced we live in what I would call a short game world. But I want to talk to you today about the long game. The short game says... You need this thing now. You need the latest iPhone. You need the latest fashion accessory. You need that holiday. You deserve the holiday. And you deserve it now. So just stick it on your credit card. That's kind of how the world thinks, isn't it? And it can squeeze us into its mold so that we bring that attitude into our Christianity. So we want the miracle now. We want the blessing now. We want every single promise in that book now. But you all know it don't work like that. It doesn't work like that. God has a timetable. It's a relational process we work with him. And if I can say it politely, I actually think God knows all the best things in life take time. 
The best things in life are the long haul things. The things that really matter. It takes time to identify them. It takes time to develop them. It takes time for them to yield their maximum fruit in our lives. Well, what kind of thing do you mean, Steve? Okay, where are all the married people in the room? Oh, yes. Hello. Building a great marriage is a long game. Is it not? Long game. Not a short game. Don't get grumpy if you have some ups and downs in your marriage in the first few years. My Lord. We've been married more years than I can remember right now. 40-some. And I'm telling you, it's a long game. It's a long game. I don't know about you, but my best friends are my oldest friends. Um, Surely you've met a few in the more recent years, Steve, haven't you? Well, yes, but the ones you've had friendship with for long periods of life, they've been through stuff with you. They've seen you at your worst point. You know, so we were in Northern Ireland last Sunday just visiting friends there. Why did we go to Northern Ireland, get on a plane? Because those people invested in us when we were at a very low point. The couple we went to visit turned up on our doorstep when we were going through a major low point in our family life journey. And they turned up on our doorstep, they got on a plane and come to see us. That's friendship. It means something. It cost them. Now, when the chips are down, you find out who your real friends are, don't you? And those who stick with you through thick and thin, long-haul friendships, I would suggest to you, are probably the best ones. You know, a great career, a great ministry. To become an expert in anything takes time. So you've got to invest into it. Building a church takes time. You know, I've spoken to many church planters who get discouraged in the early years of starting a church and pioneering it. And the old heads will say, you've just got to stick with it. You've got to keep reaching people, keep loving people, keep discipling those people. You've got to be willing to stay for the long haul. Don't expect revival after six months and your seats to be filled. It don't work like that. Long haul. And if I can get right to the heart of what I want to explore with you today, it's this. Living the Christian life is a long game too. It's a long game. Now, all those things I mentioned, you know, marriage, friendship, careers, Christian life, the whole thing, all of them are characterized by what I would call a significant moment followed by a life-shaping process. It's a moment followed by a process. There's a moment, and the problem is this, the moment is always fun. Do you remember the wedding? Wasn't it fun? The wedding day was fun. I mean, you spent years, months, saving the money, planning it, getting the dress, the bridesmaids, the flowers, the reception. You spent thousands of pounds on that day, so you made sure it was fun. And then the marriage began. (laughs) Oh, yes, it did. The significant moment's fun. The first time you meet a new friend and you sort of click and you think, yeah, we get on really great. You've got so much in common and hey, let's be friends. And you do a few things and it's, you're energized by this new friendship until you disagree about something or you have to work through some difficulties and it gets tested. 
Because the fun of the significant moment tends to get tested as you navigate the journey together. Ever started a new job? And it's that mixture of trepidation, fear of what would it be like. But at the same time, you're excited. And it's brilliant. Until some of the staff you don't get on with, they don't give you the, the raise they said they'd give you straight away. There are challenges that face you. That I would suggest to you, your faith in Jesus Christ had a fun start. You don't find people giving their life to Jesus and going, oh, I'm so depressed I've become a Christian. <laughs> no, those are the on fire ones. They're the ones who are grateful for the salvation. They're the ones that realize, man, I was lost and now I'm found. I feel found. And people say, well, how do you know? And you see them change and develop. When you first come to Jesus, it's brilliant, isn't it? Because the contrast is immediately there for you from the way that you lived before. And because that gets tested too. And the, the process teaches you deep, lasting joy comes as you commit to the long game of those things. You can't linger in the significant moment forever. You've got to move on. You've got to develop. You've got to mature. And following Jesus is just like that. I remember when I was nine years old, kneeling by my bed and asking Jesus into my life. Because the evangelist, who was with our church at the time, had said that's what I needed to do. He looked me in the eye and said, Stephen, have you ever given your life to Jesus? And I, I was raised in a Christian home. I knew the gospel as such. And I knew I'd never done that. And that night when I went to bed, I'm wrestling with his words. So I sort of fell out of bed, knelt down by my bed, said a little prayer, and kind of felt, felt good. A bit like those kids upstairs. Felt good. <laughs> Rolled back into bed, went to sleep. A couple of days later, I see the evangelist again because he was lodging in our home. And he says to me, Stephen, did you do what I suggested to you the other night? I said, yes. Wonderful, he said. Now you're a child of God. Now you're going to live life with Jesus. I had no clue what he was on about. But I tell you, I know that was the beginning of my spiritual journey. That was my significant moment. And I pray that you have had one too. But my message to you today is simply this. Will you please commit not just to staying in the conversion moment. Commit to moving on in the process. Because that's where the fruit is. That's where the joy is. That's where the maturity is. That's where the blessing is as we commit to the long haul. And the scripture we read basically makes that point. First few verses say his divine power has given us everything we need. Then it says, now to that, make every effort. Oh, effort? Yes, make every effort to add to your faith. So my faith moment was significant. Now I have to add to it goodness. So how about doing some good in the name of Jesus? Go around doing good. Add to it some knowledge. You know, how about getting to know Jesus a bit more? Getting to know the Bible. Getting to know how to live a Christian life to the full. Add some self-control. In other words, get to grips with the things that mess you up. Add to it perseverance. Press through when things seem to oppose you. Add to it godliness. And so it goes on. 
For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you can be born again, soundly saved, and really fed up today, unproductive, unfulfilled, have no joy, be in all manner of angst and doubt and fear, because you have not added to your faith some of those qualities. And sadly, too many of the church are in that state. They've had a significant moment. They can look back to it. They know they were saved. And they're just hoping one day they will be in heaven. Because we've got the future hope. But if you want to live an abundant life today, you've got to start adding to your faith some of these qualities. You've got to start some movement, some growth. And classically, we call that process discipleship. Now, there's a word you never use outside of church. Discipleship. You know, the early converts to Christianity were called disciples. They weren't called Christians. Because they instinctively understood this is a relationship with Jesus that requires me to follow him. Because discipleship is all about following. So I guess what I'm saying to you today is this. I want you to commit to the long haul of discipleship, of being willing to follow Jesus for the rest of your earthly life. That's the challenge I've got for you. And before you say, oh, that's easy, Steve. Obviously, that's why we're in church. Well, it's not as obvious, I don't think, as we think sometimes. (laughs) When you start to unpack discipleship, you have to come to terms with what the word disciple means. It's simply, it's a follower, it's a learner, it's an adherent, but it means nothing without a rabbi, a teacher, a master. There is one that you are a disciple of. And of course, that's Jesus, who is right at the heart of who we are as Christ followers. And if you read the Gospels, you'll see that the first 12 that Jesus gathered around himself, they basically just did life with Jesus. I mean, they literally did life together. They ate together, they all traveled together, they lodged together, they served him, he sent them on errands, they made mistakes, he corrected them, they learned from the correction, they became recognized, known as, ah, you're the disciples of Jesus, that prophet, teacher guy, aren't you? All the principles are there. And what we see just in the chapters that we have available in the Bible is those guys changed. Because the transformation, which is what you and I want from the moment we come to Christ, the transformation was through following. It could be a definition of discipleship. Transformation by following. You don't get transformed just by standing still, just by believing. You get transformed by following. You get shaped by moving. You get shaped by doing stuff taking some risks, stepping out by adding to our initial faith some of those qualities that we read in our scripture. The idea is that the, the long game of discipleship is that we're changed from one degree of glory to another into the image and likeness of Christ, increasingly doing the things that Jesus did as we follow him daily. On the screen, I've got a definition for you because I've worked out When I say disciple or discipleship, different Christians mean different things. This is my working definition. 
A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and does what Jesus does. And you can't get away with just doing one or two of them. (laughs) It's following, it's being changed by following, which begins to look like doing. Will you commit North Church today to the long game of discipleship? If you'll cut it to it with me, I can carry on. Because everything I've got to say from now on is to help you commit to that journey, okay? Let's commit to the long game of discipleship. And I want to give you six quick practical things that will help you be a committed disciple of Jesus. Six things that every serious disciple does. Number one, they commit to being with Jesus. They commit to being with him. Now, those early 12 pretty much lived with Jesus. I find it fascinating that in Mark chapter 3, which is one of the accounts where Jesus called the 12 to him, it says that he first called them that they might be with him and that he might then send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. It's Mark 3, 13 to 15. So first Jesus says, come on, just I want you with me. Just be with me. Jesus wants you and I to be with him before he can send us out to do all the stuff. That means I have to actively, consciously engage with Jesus. Is Jesus with you now? Yes or no? Yeah, yeah. Theologically, many of you are going, yeah, he never leaves us. Jesus is always with me. He's with me by the Holy Spirit that lives within me. Yeah. But are you consciously aware of that? You need to place yourself daily in Jesus' presence. Yes, he's always there, but you need to consciously wake up to it. You need to place yourself there. You need to roll out of bed on the morning and say, morning, Jesus. What are we doing today, Lord? And as you're doing your supermarket shopping in Asda, it's, Lord, what should we buy for dinner today? Have we got folk coming around? Do we need to get extra stuff in? You're just, you're just placing yourself in a conscious awareness of living life with Jesus. He's here right now. But he came with me in the car. He was with me when I slept last night. But it's only as I consciously tune into his presence that the stuff happens, that the following happens. Yes, he is me with me by his spirit in my devotional moments. He is with me as I read his word, which is the word of Christ. He's with me right now here. Because Jesus said, where two or three gather in my name, there am I in the midst. So he's here, but do you know he's here? I hope when you meet with other believers, you consciously say, Jesus is with us. Jesus is here. Yes, he but here by virtue of being in me, but also in you. We're his children. So a serious disciple, I would suggest to you, is with Jesus. Secondly, they're always watching Jesus. See, to be a good disciple, you have to keep your eyes on him. Oh, boy. Those 12 had to keep their eye on Jesus because he kept disappearing. I mean, they'd roll out of bed and go, where's Jesus? Where's he gone now? Someone would say, well, we think he went down to the shore. Oh, did anybody see where Jesus went? Yeah, he got in a boat and he rode across the other side. What's he playing at? Oh, 
He's gone up the mountain to pray or they've got to watch him. And it's a big lesson for us. If we're going to be committed disciples of Jesus, to follow him, we have to keep our eyes on him. I wonder what you see Jesus doing right now. Have you observed how Jesus treats people as you read the scripture? Have you observed what makes Jesus happy? What makes Jesus sad? What makes Jesus righteously angry? Do you observe what Jesus is doing in each other? I love it when you see someone begin to change as they grow in their faith. You say, Jesus is doing a great work in you. Well, can you look in the mirror? I hope you can. Look at yourself and say, Jesus is doing a good work in you, Steve. I ain't done with you yet. Watch what he's doing. So a follower of Jesus watches Jesus and learns what Jesus in action looks like. So we're going to commit to be with him. We're going to watch him. Thirdly, I'm also going to talk to him. Because it's a bit of a, a strange word, isn't it, to say, I'm a follower of Jesus and I never talk to him. <laughs> I don't know about you. I tell Jesus everything. Probably only Jesus and my dog knows absolutely everything. That's because I often talk to Jesus when I'm out walking the dog. And it's just me and the dog in the woods or the hills. And, it's... and again, the theology head says, but Jesus knows every word before you say it, Steve. You don't need to talk to him. No, it's not for his sake. It does me good to talk to him. It does me really good. I mean, I, I, need to tell, I need to tell Jesus some stuff. What is he playing at? I mean, why doesn't he sort that situation out, sort that situation out? I prayed for that six months ago, Lord, and it's not done yet. What's going on? And my, my human angst, some of my complaints, my fears, my doubts, my frustrations, I give them to him, cast them on him. I ask him for help. The reason I ask him for help is, and I ask him lots of questions is, because I've now realized, as I consciously put myself in his presence, and as I watch how he works, he gives me so many questions. So I now need to talk to him, to strike up the conversation. And it's prayer that's that conversation. I don't know how you perceive prayer, but the best, most beautiful, profound prayer is just a perpetual conversation with Jesus. Every moment of every day, you're just in conversation with him, sharing your heart, committing everything to him, inviting him into every situation. That's the essence of prayer. It says in Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Now I know there's, there's intercession and there's standing in the gap and there's corporate prayer and private prayer and praying in the spirit and there's all manner of prayers, but they all tumble out of an enduring disciple based following of Jesus. So my active following of Jesus is meaning I'm with him, I'm watching him, I'm talking to him. But of course, fourthly, I'm listening. I'm listening to him. See, how silly to say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, but never to listen to him. The whole point of being a disciple is you want to sit at his feet and listen. Ask your questions, learn, create space. I think it's very hard to follow anyone if you're not listening to them. 
So you've got to be able to answer the question, what was the last thing Jesus said to you? What is Jesus saying to you right now? I think this is why it's one of the most important things we teach new Christians is how to know when God is speaking to them. And that's flipping hard to explain, isn't it? Ever tried? You'll hear someone saying, oh yeah, God said to me, or God spoke to me, or I felt the Lord say, and if an unsaved person says, what do you mean the Lord said? Was it a voice? And you go, ah, well, um, well, it was kind of a, kind of a, a prompting in my spirit. A prompting? Mm, or, well, it was like a thought, and certain thoughts I get seem to carry more weight, and I just know they're from God. Oh, well, how do you know that? Because I've tested it. I've responded to some of those thoughts, and it's gone wrong. And I've responded to some, and it's gone right. And I know now how to separate out the ones which are definitely Jesus speaking to me. Oh, fascinating. I always wondered how that thing worked. So God never speaks to you audibly. Well, he hasn't done to me yet, but maybe he does to some people. I don't know. Because it's a relationship with God we have. And he will talk to you in a way that suits you. It's not a cookie-cutter religion we're in. This is a deeply personal relationship of doing life with Jesus. My part is simply to create space to listen. Create gaps, create space to sit, to walk, to be quiet. If we got the microphone and said, we'll go around the room and everybody will just say what was the last thing that Jesus said to them. Some of you would freak out. Some of you, some of you say, give me that mic. Because <laughs> you know so clearly. I'll tell you what the last thing Jesus said to me. Just as Dave was speaking and inviting me up, I felt Jesus just said to me, I got an emoji. (laughs) Basically. Thumbs up saying, come on, Steve, we've got this. That's Jesus just chatting to me. I don't know what he says to you, but keep listening. He's very cool. He's trendy. He's up to date. (laughs) He has the latest iPhone. (laughs) But, you know, I'm not just with him, watching him, talking and listening to him. As a true follower of Jesus, fifthly, I am moving when Jesus moves. Because Jesus is moving. He doesn't stay still. I suspect that when he called those 12 on the beach and from the tax collector's booth and wherever he got them all, he said to them, follow me. To some he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He said various things, follow me. And I think he just went, Follow me, guys. Follow me. He didn't just say, follow me. Well, how long do you need? Uh, Are we coming or not? No, Jesus is moving. Jesus is active. Jesus is moving. And our job is to keep our eye on him and to follow him and to be willing to move at the speed he moves. Movement's implicit in being a follower of Jesus. It's not implicit in modern social media following, I have to say. You can sit at home on your backside and follow the world and never go anywhere. That is not what we're talking about here. This is actual movement. So I've got to stay close to him. Devote myself to the journey because I want to move at his pace. So when Jesus says, Steve, move that attitude. Steve, move that friendship. Steve, 
Move that money from your account to someone else's. Steve, come on, move house, move serving area, move, give me 101 things. But the committed disciple of Jesus has got their eye on him so they can move at his speed. What was the last move you made to ensure you kept pace with Jesus? So I'm with him, watching him, talking, listening, and moving in step with him. And maybe most importantly, my sixth little thing we should do is this. We should obey what Jesus teaches. Maybe and this is right at the heart of it, to be honest. Obedience is the heart of being a disciple. It's the ultimate test, the ultimate proof I'm his disciple. Because I obey him because I love him. Now hear me carefully. Some people are obeying out of fear. Some people are obeying out of maybe God will kill me if I don't. No. Disciples love their master. Because they've worked out Jesus loved me so much. He gave his life for me. He's given me the possibility of a hope and a future. And because he loved me, I love him. In John 14, 23, Jesus said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Not rocket science, dead simple. Love is at the heart of it. Mutual love. Obedience flowing from love is right at the heart of the Great Commission. Jesus said to his disciples just before he ascended, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples. Not get converts, make disciples. Room full of converts will not change the world. Room full of people who've just had a significant moment won't make a dent. Room full of disciples, people who are following Jesus, who are moving, who are doing life with him, they become salt and light and they they change education and science and commerce and they, they change the city. Because they're following Jesus and living in obedience to him. You know, a disciple in the making is increasingly living in obedience to the teaching of Jesus. I wonder what the last step of obedience you took was when Jesus just, you know it was Jesus. You know it was God saying to you, stop it. Think differently, speak differently, change that, put that right, send that email, pick the phone up. You know it was. When you obey, even though it costs you, it feels good. You feel the smile of heaven. You, 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 feel the, you get the emoji from Jesus. In fact, you probably get that warm, lovely face with a smile on from Jesus saying, come on, Steve, I'm for you. So North Church... Are we up for the long game of following Jesus? I hope so. Because have you seen what our first value is as a church? Just pop the value slide up. The first value of North Church is Jesus is who we love to follow. First value. It's the first value. What I've realized is Jesus is awesome. People are brilliant. The word of God is amazing. Community is fantastic. But the long game value isn't those things. The long game is, am I willing to follow that process? 
People, am I willing to serve them? That's the long haul, the long game. Word, it's grow that's the long game. Are you growing in the word, reading the word, asking your questions, finding out? Community is how we love to live. The other thing I realized when I was preparing for today is this. Unless the first one's in place, unless I'm committed to following Jesus, the other three are flipping hard work. And you're doing it completely in your own strength. Because you can't serve people fully outside of doing it with Jesus' help. You can't ever get anything out of God's word unless you're reading it with Jesus' help to help you interpret it and apply it into this modern world we live in. And living in community would drive you bonkers unless you have that common factor of Jesus uniting you all. It's all about Jesus. And our primary value is to be a community who are willing to follow him with all our heart. Jesus never expected you just to settle for that significant moment of your conversion. He wants you now to every day follow him with all your heart by making every effort to add to your faith goodness knowledge and self-control and perseverance and all the other qualities so that we're not unfruitful and ineffective in our faith. So this week, can I encourage you, please be transformed by following. Be with him. Watch him. Talk to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Move at his pace and obey whatever he asks you to do. Amen. God bless you.